This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Round Ball Stew. I am Matt Straup. It is Wednesday, May 18th, and today we're going to hit some recent developments from the NBA playoffs, including another dominant performance from Jimmy Butler and the Western Conference Finals getting ready to tip off. Plus, we're going to look at all the fallout from Tuesday night's NBA draft lottery, including potential landing spots for the top five picks and the fantasy impact therein. To do this, I'm joined by Raphael Johnson and Jonas Nader, who are sporting matching blue NBC Sports Edge tees. Guys, I did not get a heads up about the game plan here. We could have, we had a chance for the rare triple blue tee and uh, we missed that opportunity. Yeah, Raph texted me this morning and said, make sure you wear the blue today, okay? We're, we're leaving Matt hanging, so we made sure to do that. Yeah, don't tell him that. <laughs> yeah, tough. By the way, do I look tired at all? Just quick question. Uh, a little bit, maybe? I, I never would have thought. Why? What, what happened? The last week or so, like at 7 o'clock a.m. sharp on the dime, we've had these birds in our backyard just smash into our windows just over and over again, and it wakes us up like two wow. hours early. Yeah, and just wakes up the kids, oh, wow. and they just start screaming. So uh, it's like the <laughs> opening scene of a scary movie, you know what I mean? Like we don't know what's yeah. going on, so we'll keep you updated next week as things progress. So, yeah. The mysterious... Yeah, no, it started out kind of, you know, just it started out with just some birds crashing into windows, yeah. but from there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, how, how big are we talking? How big birds are we talking? Massive. So we live in basically like a mountain neighborhood. It's like, yeah. uh, ever seen Lord of the Rings? It looks like Fangorn Forest, for those of you who have seen Lord of the Rings. So yeah, it's pretty terrifying. We don't know what they are. <laughs> They're like hybrid birds. <laughs> well, you now you just admitted you're living in Lord of the Rings country. So exactly. I'm picturing like just some enormous kind of like prehistoric yeah. style. Yeah. Now uh, school. Yeah. Forest birds. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, Jonas, I don't know. Keep the windows shut. I don't I know guess, what to yeah. say. <laughs> don't know what Careful. else to add. Yeah. No tips. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's get into this. We're going to get to the, the NBA draft lottery fall in a few minutes, but let's start with just some quick playoff snapshot slash takeaways. Uh, we'll start with the Eastern conference finals, which Obviously tipped off on Tuesday. It was the Heat 118, the Celtics 107. And obviously the main focus here is what a night it was for Jimmy Butler. 41 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists, 4 steals, 3 blocks, 12 for 19 from the floor, 17 for 18 from the free throw line, 2 turnovers. I hope you had him in the MVP spot in DFS. Jonas, are we are we getting roped into like, – what's happening here in terms of our fantasy perception of Butler? Because we all know he's a great player. We all know he misses a ton of real life basketball games. We're not getting like roped into to moving up our draft boards next year, are we? Is this happening? When I saw the first question, I just laughed because like I was the guy that traded for Jimmy Butler last year, like in two to three leagues, because like, you know what? The Heat are shorthanded. They're playing for playoff seating. Like Jimmy Butler's just gonna go off. And so I trade for him. And then he proceeds to sit like I think nine out of like eleven games for a big toe mm-hmm. irritation, a sinus infection. Meanwhile, he's posting videos of himself practicing at 3 a.m. It's like, come on, dude. Like, <laughs> you claim to be the tough guy and you're going to sit. Like, I'm looking at his games played because I, like like you said, I was roped into it. And then I went back and looked at his games played and it's yeah. it's horrific. So he's at 
57, 52, 58, 55, 65, 59. Like in a head to head league, there's zero chance you can take them. And a rotisserie, slightly different story. Maybe I can go back and say third round, maybe, maybe late second, but man, those games played are just horrific. Yeah, I don't think I'd consider him for the second round unless you're at that turn mm-hmm. where you can get someone late like him late second and get someone who's a bit more reliable in terms mm-hmm. of game play early third round. He looked outstanding last night. You know, that third quarter from the Heat probably one of the most impressive quarters we've seen in these playoffs. And what they did offensively, especially defensively, where they clamped down on Boston. Um, but – I think what we all need to keep in mind is that Boston didn't have Marcus Smart or, or Al, Al Horford. Yeah. Probably won't have Horford for game, for game two, but in terms of Smart, he's going to make a huge difference for them on both ends of the floor because we saw Derek White really didn't give them anything. So the Butler question, yeah, third round, I'm with Jonas on, with their, you know, Roto or head-to-head. But, yeah, that's pretty much all I got to say about that. That's a good call on Smart, too. Tatum literally could not guard Butler last night. That was pretty impressive, but <laughs> – yeah, I mean, I, I was going to quickly ask you guys, like, you know, with do do you still have faith in the Celtics? I mean, the Horford thing is a is a concern. Smart, I mean, it's a concern. It's a foot sprain, right? I mean, even if they get him back, mm-hmm. he might be limited. So, Raph, do do you like their chance of getting back in this series? Well, I don't even think they're out of it now. You know, all they did was lose Game One on the road. You know, as the saying goes, series really doesn't start till someone loses at home. So, right. I think they'll be fine as long as the foot sprain that Smart's dealing with isn't too severe and he can be somewhat effective on the floor Thursday night. I think they'll be fine. So I still like them to win the series. You know, they, they looked really good in the first half. The combination of Miami's defense and maybe a bit of a hangover from that long series against the Bucks kind of did them in. So getting adjusted to a new opponent, getting Smart back, I think they'll be okay. Yeah, that first half, the Celtics looked like the best team in the NBA. They were just ridiculous. Yeah. Tatum was hitting literally everything he threw up. He was, yeah. he was tossing up push shots over Jimmy Butler, and they were going in too. So uh, if they get Al Horford back, hopefully by game three, Smart back by game two, Like I think this is going to be a seven-game series. But I'm not ready to pick a winner yet. I'm just not. Okay. Well, let's move to the Western Conference Finals, which gets started on Wednesday night. Uh, it's obviously the Mavs and the Warriors. Just open-ended, I want to ask you guys, what – are you looking for in this series? Could be anything. Could be a player performance. It could be a, a DFS scenario. Uh, it could be big picture about one of these teams. Raph, anywhere you want to take this. I volunteer as tribute. I'm looking to see how the Warriors guard Luka Doctor. So I read Anthony Slater's matchup preview. He's probably my favorite beat writer. He just did such a good job. He was basically saying that the Warriors are going to back off Doncic and just let him do his thing, right? And they're going to try and limit everyone else on that team. So uh, he Anthony Slater noted that Jokic averaged 31 points against them. Ja averaged 38 points against them too. So they're going to let Doncic do his thing and try and limit everyone else. Um, Hmm. And then Slater also noted that they are going to try, or Luka is going to try to pull and pick on uh, Curry and pull almost every single possession too. So um, I'm not sure how the Warriors are going to defend him without Gary Payton. I feel like he was going to be their best chance. Uh, Andrew Wiggins has been playing really well in defense. I think he's going to be their top option. He guarded him in the regular season. But what the wild card I'm interested to see is let's put Jonathan Kaminga on him and see what he can do, right? Probably one of the best athletes in the entire NBA. Uh, huge wingspan. I want to see Kaminga guard Doncic and see what he can do. I think the Doncic factor, how the Warriors deal with him, is certainly something we're all looking forward to. And by that token, I think Jalen Brunson's the guy I'm going to be watching. You know, we've seen him possibly earn himself a significant amount of money this season once he hits free agency. 
if they're going to let Duke Luca kind of do his thing, where are the other guys fall into place? Like what can they do to create for themselves and for their teammates? Because you look at Dallas's rotation, they don't really have a front court guy who's, who you know is going to get you 17 to 20 points every night. So I think that puts a little more pressure on guys like Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie to do some more, not only scoring, but setting those guys up. And the other thing, Draymond Green, how are they going to use him defensively? Like, I think with Dallas's center position being what it is, he can almost be used as like a free safety in a sense. You know, And how is he going to impact games defensively? We've seen him do it on the ball and off the ball. So I think those are the two things I'm most looking forward to in this series. Raph, it almost sounds like you're saying we can't count on Maxi Kleba for 17 to 20 points every night. I don't, I can't believe him. <laughs> all right. They got David for time. Yeah. That's all you need. I do think Dinwiddie, who you just mentioned, becomes really interesting because if you could easily see the Warriors saying, all right, what Jonas was saying, we're going to, we're not going to let Jalen Brunson beat us. Then the next guy mm-hmm. becomes Dinwiddie, who I think had 30 yeah. points in 25 minutes in that closeout game of the Suns. Which Dinwiddie are they getting? Because we've seen him go off like that and we've seen him basically invisible game to game. So uh, could could this whole thing could this whole thing come down to Spencer Dinwiddie? That would be interesting. Well, on that note, do you guys want to make a quick pick here, uh, Jonas? You weren't ready to pick the Eastern Conference Finals. Are you ready to pick the West? I actually am. If you had asked me last week, I would have said Warriors hands down. I'm going Dallas in seven. I think they're going wow, to go extremely okay. small. I don't even think we we can yeah. rule out DFS playing like some five in this matchup too because you talk about Dwight Powell. I think he plays the first game and then sets the rest because I think they're just going to go super small as Ralph kind of hinted at too. That kind of minimizes Draymond to a degree or maybe it, I don't know, maybe it makes him better, but I think we're going to go super small. I think Dorian Finney Smith is going to be the key in this series because so much attention is going to be on everyone else. And he's just been red hot from three 35 of 83 in the playoffs. So really hot performance from him. I'm picking Dallas in seven. I think I'm going to go Warriors in six um, because I think it feels like we're all in agreement that this really isn't a series for traditional centers. And if that's the case, I'm going to put my money on Draymond Green um, in terms of both ends of the floor. He can facilitate offensively. He's not going to give you much as a shooter. He's willing to shoot. He just doesn't make him very often, but that's fine because of what he gives you in all the other areas of his game offensively and defensively. So we haven't seen that signature Steph Curry game yet. We saw Game Six Clay, obviously, in the Memphis series, but I think this is going to be more about Draymond Green and his full value that ultimately makes a difference in the series. Can I mention one more thing too? Go this is it. from the Athletics article too. The last time they played in the regular season, Curry didn't attempt a single shot in the fourth quarter. Like the mass completely yeah. took him out of the game too. So uh, it's going to be a big Jordan Poole series on the offensive end for them to, to pull this out. All right, so Jonas has the Mavs in seven. Raph has the Warriors in six. I'm going to go Warriors in seven. Uh, I picked the Warriors to make the finals before the playoffs started. That's the one part of my prediction that's still alive. Uh, also, by the way, I was just thinking about this. You know, Both teams like to go small. How thrilling is it going to be to watch this, this Dwight powell Kevon Looney showdown? The, the centers who are in the game until the team inevitably goes small. I mean, wow. Those game first the four game. minutes, do not miss. Do not miss. <laughs> yeah, do not turn away. Do not turn away. Can Looney stay on the floor for six minutes to start this half? I, oh, man, I'm just on the edge of my seat every time. It's, it's yep. thrilling stuff. All right, we're going to hit takeaways from the draft lottery coming up in just a second. First, a very quick break. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. 
we come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands still. This is just a reminder, if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet, go download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands by predicting what will happen in the NBA playoffs, Premier League, on the PGA Tour, and NASCAR circuit. Okay, as we mentioned, guys, the NBA draft lottery was Tuesday night. The Magic won it. The Magic wins something. Big headline. We're going to go through team by team here, and we're going to propose a player for each team. Now, this is not necessarily the player that we think is going to go to that team. It's, I would say, a realistic possibility in each case and and an interesting scenario in each case. So we're going to look at the prospect. Raf, you're going to give us the prospect breakdown. And Jonas, you're going to talk a little team fit for us. What would it mean if player said player goes to said team? So let's start with the Magic. I have written down that they will take Jabari Smith Jr. out of Auburn, a guy who had a really impressive season. Raf, if you have the numbers, you can throw those at us. But what do you think about the prospect and how his game translates to the NBA? He's got a good fit in terms of the modern center. Um, his ability to play out on a perimeter on both ends of the floor, shot about 44% from three uh, during his lone season at Auburn. Good percentages in the paint. Um, defensively, moves his feet well. So when you're talking about the two-man game, I think he's going to be an asset in that regard. Good shot blocker as well. Orlando's done a good job when they've gotten the first overall pick. You look at their history. Obviously, Shaquille O'Neal, Dwight Howard, no question, those guys were the top picks in their respective drafts. They drafted Chris Weber in 93, used his draft rights to trade for Penny Hardaway. So whoever goes here, it, you have to like their chances of being somewhat successful. Whether or not they spend their whole career in Orlando, it's another question to worry about that when we get to it. But in terms of Jabari Smith, I think he'll be a pretty good fit next to Wendell Carter Jr. Um, just because he can play either the four or the five. They had that double setup between Carter and Mo Bamba this, this past season. Obviously, Bamba's a free agent. He also had injury concerns in the past, too. So I think Jabari Smith would be a really good fit in Orlando, but you can also make a really good case for Chet Holmgren there, too. It feels a little bit like with the Magic pulling the number one pick and the top three consensus guys in this draft all yeah. being big men, it feels like we're saying goodbye to the Mo Bamba era in Orlando, mm -hmm. potentially, maybe as fallout of this. But Jonas, I'll let you talk about that in a second. Quickly, yep. Jabari Smith's numbers, around 17 points per game, seven and a half boards, two assists, around a steal, a block, and 2.33s for Auburn. So Jonas, if this guy lands in Orlando, uh, what does that mean for this rest, for the rest of this roster in your mind? I think what you said, I think Mo Bamba's gone. Um, before the season, they had a choice. Are they going to keep Mo Bamba or are they going to keep Wendell Carter Jr.? They extended Wendell Carter Jr. I don't even think they had talks or extensive talks with Mo Bamba too. So they gave him a show us what you got kind of season. And he played really well for the first couple of months. And then he kind of faded. The injury started mm -hmm. creeping up again. Doesn't have the best motor like 
we heard it's maybe health related, but didn't have the best motor. The last month he did pick it up again, but I think he's gone. Like I think he's had his chances. Uh, like I said, the best two or three players in this draft are going to be big men. They're going to make the call here. They're going to go either Jabari Smith, who right now, according to the odds, is the odds on favorite. But mm -hmm. like Ross said, I don't think it's a lock just yet because we all know how much this Magic front office likes length and who has more length than Chet, right? So guy is just massive too. So yeah. I think it's 55-45 in favor of Jabari going number one right now, but it's going to be close. What about the great hypothetical of uh, Jonathan Isaac? If this guy comes back, is there some redundancy there with him and Jabari Smith Jr.? I don't think so. Mm, yeah, because Jabari can play the five. Um, Isaac, I think they view as a four. And you have that ultra-long mm -hmm. front court. I wouldn't be shocked if they played Isaac at the three sometimes. Just have a little fun with it. Put all three of those guys out there. But you also have Franz Wagner at a very good rookie season. He's going to be in the mix. Chumo Kiki's also mm -hmm. in the rotation. So, yeah, I don't think it'll be all that redundant personally. And also the injury factor with Isaac. You know, how much can they truly count on him from day one when next season starts? That's going to be the other question that's kind of hanging over this, this franchise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ralph just listed six very good front court players. Like I said, yeah. Obama's gone. You know, there's just no yeah. room for him. Uh, quickly, before we move to the next prospect and the next team, uh, Roth, you see Jabari Smith being a guy we're going to want to draft in fantasy right away? I think I would go with Chet Holmgren ahead of him um, from a fantasy standpoint. We can get into that when we talk about Chet in a minute. But I just think yeah. that log jam in Orlando in terms of the many options that they have, they're going to want him to play, obviously. But it's going to be a little bit tougher for a guy like him to get the numbers that make him a truly relevant fantasy guy. Like He'll be drafted for sure, but I don't think – we're going to be looking at him as like a seventh or eighth round guy like we did some of the rookies in, in this year's class. Mm -hmm. Can I ask a quick question for Rob? Whose stat set would you compare him to? Would you, do you stick a little bit of JJJ in him? Maybe I can bit? see that in time, um, especially the three-point shooting. That's something that we've seen Jaron Jackson Jr. provide. Um, but I think that would be a pretty good comparison for him starting out in terms of his NBA career. And Jabari shot low 40s on yeah. threes, right? I mean, he's potentially a really, really good mm -hmm. knockdown shooter. So the number two team in the lot, the number two team in this draft is Chet, <laughs> is the Oklahoma City Thunder, I started to say, the player. Chet Holmgren is a player that we have pegged to go here. Around 14 points, 10 boards, two dimes, 0.8 steals, 3.7 yeah. blocks, 1.33s at Gonzaga. Raf, tell us about the prospect. And of course, we can't exclude the fact that this guy's literally listed at seven foot, 195 pounds. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, you're going to hear a lot of people make a big deal about his weight and how skinny he is, but he did a really good job of avoiding situations where opposing players could just punish him in the post. And, and what also helped him at Gonzaga is he played next to Drew Timmy, who was a, a more of a true center in terms of his build. So that helped out Holmgren in that regard. The ability to play as a secondary defender and, and rack up those block shots. I think he was one of the first players in recent college basketball history to have at least 43 pointers and 100 or more block shots in a single season. Like you talk about that type of production from a fantasy standpoint, that's absolutely mouthwater. And, and you look at Oklahoma <laughs> City, their front court rotation, who were surefire locks in that roster? Um, Derek Favors, uh, <laughs> all star. <laughs> Derek Favors surprised us in the fact that he didn't get absolutely yeah. shut down like they did Al Horford yeah. in late January last season. But beyond that, yeah. you don't really see much. So they can play play Holmgren plenty. The tandem of him and Alexi 
Pokushevsky would be a little bit light in the britches, so to speak, but they have they have all the time in the world given how they're going about this rebuild. You've got 17 first-round picks over the next five years. Chet's going to play plenty if he goes to Oklahoma City, but like we said earlier, there's also a chance he goes to Orlando just because of how much they like to draft length, as that front office has shown in recent years. Sorry, Raph, have you never heard of Olivier Saar and Jalen Horde? I mean, what are you talking about? This front court is absolutely stacked in Oklahoma City. There's, those are some good DFS guys, you know, late this yeah, season, but that's true. about it, man. True, true. Well, we actually, not to get sidetracked, but on the Monday episode, we were ranking the fantasy sixth round, and Jalen Horde on a per-game basis was a sixth-round player in his seven games. So exciting stuff there. One of the great outliers from this past season. So we've already started to get at this a little bit, Jonas, but... Talk about the roster fit and and your thoughts on the potential of Chet Holmgren in Oklahoma City. And yes, this is your chance to expound on the potential of a Pokashevsky Holmgren front court, which I know is a dream for you. Yeah, and then you're going to add in the third guy too is Darius Basley, who had some really off and on stretches, but when he was on, he was on too. So um, I think Doc would agree when we bring him on next time. The Chet Pokashevsky front court is probably going to be the most entertaining to watch. It's not always going to be pretty, but it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. As Ross said, they are going to get bullied at times because both of them need to gain about um, 500 pounds. But, man, that's exciting. But I don't think the Thunder's tank is done. So this is something to keep in mind. Their right. end game, I've been saying this all along, is Wimbanya next year. Like It's going to be probably the most high prospects in Zion. Um, so that's their end game. So let's enjoy Chet and OKC until about February. And then all right. nine rotation players in OKC are going to have ankle soreness some plantar right. fasciitis and they're going to be shut down. So we're going to see one more mega tank in OKC. So just keep that in mind if you're drafting Chet head to head. It's brutal. Jonas, you, you like to exaggerate, but I mean, you're not even exaggerating here. It's you yeah. have to keep this in mind with Giddy and all these you know, SGA. If he's still there, all of these guys mm -hmm. in OKC, it's really frustrating before we move to number three, Raph, do you think those blocks 3.7 in college, how much of an impact do you see Holmgren being? And obviously arguably the hardest fantasy category to find blocks. <laughs> He a two plus blocks guy the second handers of the league i think he can approach two but what what that's going to depend on is who he's paired up with in the front court like if they put him in mm -hmm. a position where he can kind of be a help side defender um, and let someone else kind of deal with the more physical front court players then we could be talking about two blocks per game but obviously you're not going to expect a guy to, to go for about 3.7 blocks per game as he did at Gonzaga this season, but that's going to be all about the scheme in terms of how Oklahoma City decides to defend defend teams, especially in the front court. Do you think long-term, Rob, that Chet could be a four? Like long, long-term? Yeah, we, I, just because how much weight can we expect the guy to, to put on? Obviously, he's only 19, so his body's probably not filled out yet, but you're not expecting someone to become like Dwight Howard within two years from a physical muscle standpoint. Right. So I think... He could definitely become that type of player. And you mentioned Victor Wimbanyama, who I think a lot of teams are going to be tanking for once they realize they can't be in the plan for next season. Yep. He's light as well, but if you can pair those two up, the length that you would have on that front court would be absolutely incredible if you're Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. And that's the route you decide to go. We can only dream. Pokashevsky at the three, Chet at the four, Wimbanyama at the five. What? <laughs> Let's make it happen. Giddy at the one. That's the tallest lineup in NBA history, right? If you put Giddy at the one. Yeah. And then like a five foot 11 guy at the two for some reason. We don't know why. So the first two, I think we can all picture it really easily. Uh, Jabari Smith to Orlando is easy to envision. Chet 
to the Thunder is easy to envision. For some reason, I'm having a weird time grasping Paolo Bancaro with the Rockets. And by the way, we've already had a blurb on NBC Sports Edge. The Rockets are open to moving this pick. So whatever that means, take it with a grain of salt, take it seriously, I don't know. But Bancaro, Raph, the player, what are your thoughts? He's an excellent power forward. Uh, he brings the muscle to the table that the other two may not bring. Um, Duke used him in a playmaking role this season. He was really good at that, really effective at, at getting guys involved. He can play out on a perimeter. He can play with his back to the basket. I really like him. I'm just not sure about Houston specifically, just because you got Alper yeah. and Shingun uh, already in the fold. He's an effective passer. I wouldn't put him in Bancaro's class when we talk about playmaking just because of how often Paolo was able to play out on the perimeter. Christian right. Woods in the final year of his contract, I don't see him as a long-term building block in Houston. Seems like a case of he gets his numbers and he goes and gets paid somewhere else. But um, yeah, I think Bancaro in Houston, when you look at that, that roster, they don't really have a traditional point guard right now. Maybe they try to address that this offseason because Kevin Porter Jr. is a bit inconsistent in that role. So quickly, Ben Caro's numbers before we go to you, Jonas. Around 17 points, eight boards, three dimes. That's the playmaking you reference, Raph. 1.1 steals, 0.9 blocks, 1.1 threes. What do you think, Jonas? How do you let, let's envision a world, let's live in a world where Ben Caro does go to the Rockets third? How do you see this shaking out? I don't even think I can get there. I think they're going to move him. Like I said, the Rocks and the OKC, they've both been acquiring picks. And I think it's for the same reason. They both want Wimbanya. Like Ross said, they had Sangoon. I don't see a fit there for him. And the Rockets have to swing for the fences, just like the Thunder do. I think they're going to be star hunting here. And I don't think Paolo has the upside to be like the top player in this draft. I don't even think he could be the top two or three player in this draft. I think once you're getting, I think it's like a safe high-end rotation player, if I had to pick. Like I keep seeing the Julius Randle comps. I think he's going to be a little bit better than that, maybe. But... I don't know. I, 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 I'm not sold on him. If I'm the Rockets, I'm trading this. I'm getting another pick for next year, honestly. Raph, you were, it looked like you were about to respond there when you heard the name Julius Randle. Yeah, I wouldn't compare him to Julius. I think Julius has a tendency to be, to be a, big, a bit of a black hole uh, when he gets the basketball. I think Powell can be a better playmaker than that moving forward. I kind of agree with Jonas in that his floor seems pretty high, but the ceiling isn't where where we expect it to be for either Jabari or Chet. So that may be the issue there. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, I could see Houston making a move. It's just a matter of how much will they potentially, are they looking to get back in return? Are they looking to make a big jump in the standings right now? Or are they trying to kind of set themselves up for the future, maybe get a better fit next to Shingun? Because look, you have two, just two good draft assets. Sorry. So you have this number three pick to work with, and you have Christian Wood is going to be on an expiring deal. Yeah. Like that's going to be a valuable contract to a contender too. So they have the chips to improve for the next year's draft, which is kind of the important one. I think this draft is a little bit underwhelming compared to the last two and the next one coming up. So uh, keep that in mind as well. If I have to make an upside pick for the Rockets, just total mystery box, I wouldn't be surprised if they take Shade and Sharp. And, and Rafa, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that too. Just pure mystery box. Yeah, he, he's the ultimate wild card in this draft because he didn't even play this season. He joined Kentucky's program in January, just practiced. They thought he was going to return next season, but you get those lottery projections. That door is pretty much shut at this point. So if we're going to talk about any wild cards in this draft lottery, he's the guy, depending on what they see in his private workouts. I don't know if I would add in the Houston just because he's more of a, a combo guard, if anything. And you already have two in, in Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green. So I don't know if the fit's there, but 
you know, you get a little bit lower, maybe a place like Detroit, maybe they would take a swing on him at number five. But yeah, I, I think three may be a little bit high for Shaden Sharp. And just before we move on from Ben Carroll and to kind of just, you know, go off of what you guys were saying, it seems a little bit like a guy who is is pretty good at everything. He's got yeah. kind of an all-around skill set, but what is he, where is he going to be dominant? Does he have one dominant skill? I would say Jabari Smith does have a dominant skill, three-point shooting, you know. What does Bancaro do that is just off the charts good? I'm not sure. It may just be a little bit of everything. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Which isn't a bad thing. I think you feel pretty secure in who you get there. Number four is the Kings. They'll be picking fourth. And, Raph, I know you're going to push back on this a little bit, but we have seen Jaden Ivey slated to go to Sacramento in a couple of places, first couple of places I checked today. So let's talk about let's talk about that. Let's talk about Jaden Ivey to the Kings as our starting point. Um, we will talk about how complicated – a guard going to Sacramento could get in terms of team fit in a second. But first, Raph, what are your thoughts on the prospect, Jaden Ivey? He's an excellent player. Um, Purdue was able to use him both on and off the ball. Average a little over 17 points, 4.9 rebounds, 3.1 assists per game this season. Mm -hmm. um, shoots it pretty well. Yeah, he has to get a little bit better in terms of three-point shooting, but he shoots it pretty well you know, at all three levels. Highly athletic guard. Some people have compared him to John Morant, which is an interesting comparison because – his mother, who's now the head women's basketball coach at Notre Dame, was an assistant with the Grizzlies before she went back to her alma mater. So he's obviously been around that franchise, um, been around John Morant when John was a rookie. But I'd like to kind of hold off on those comparisons just because of the star power that John Morant has shown. Let's give the guy a little time to kind of prove himself. But, you know, in terms of Sacramento, the draft for so many people see like a top three they grab the fourth pick. It's kind of sums up their luck over the last 15 years or so. Right. Um, and Jonas will expand more on the fit, but I like Keegan Murray a bit more for them in terms of what they need as mm -hmm. opposed to Jaden Ivey. Well, we're, and Keegan Mar Murray is on our list conveniently, but Jonas, I mean, what could be better? What could be more classic Sacramento than the Kings adding another ball dominant guard to this equation? I mean, it, it'd be perfect, wouldn't it? Yeah. And we have to bring up the funny story too, uh, why they passed up on Luka Doncic. Remember they said they didn't want to take the ball out of De'Aaron Fox's hands. Then they land uh, Tyrese Halliburton, who was just phenomenal and they trade him away. And now you have Jaden Ivey, who's projected to go there. Like you guys said, a ball dominant guard, like you already have De'Aaron Fox, right? If you're committed to Fox, you're getting another ball hitter, and not to mention too, Davian Mitchell looked yeah. really good too. So you're gonna take minutes from him right. now to do that. So I'm kind of with Roth here. I think Keegan Murray's probably the best fit. We've mentioned Sh uh, Shaden Sharp, uh, maybe Jalen Duran, uh, but they got uh, Sabonis too. It's, it's tricky, man. Yeah. They're in, they're in a rough spot here at number four. Um, but yeah, Jaden Ivey's gonna be a tricky fit there. I I wouldn't draft him in fantasy if he went to the Sacramento Kings because opportunity. He needs the ball in his hands. So those are my thoughts. It's just a weird fit all around for a for a top prospect. Mm -hmm. Just that roster, I think. Yep. Like people, it's dicey, right? Some franchises need to learn things the hard way, and I get the feeling that the Kings may be that franchise, especially if they were to draft Ivy. You know, given how I don't say they gave up on Halliburton because obviously they had to give up something in order to get Sabonis, but if you decided right. that those three guards weren't really going to work together, why would you? turn around and add another one to the mix good times why would you because you are the sacramento kings that's why you would yeah. because that's what you do all right let's move to the next team the pistons pulled the number five pick in this draft and this is where we are going to talk about keegan murray because he is potentially mocked to go around there in some places um 
Raph, I'll let you cite the numbers, college numbers, and don't leave out any stats because, wow, this is intriguing stuff. If you're into into stats, this is this is the guy right here. What are your thoughts? He was one of the most improved players in college basketball this season when you compare his freshman year numbers. Came off the bench and moved into the starting lineup and absolutely exploded. 23.5 points, 8.7 boards, 1.5 assists, 1.3 steals, 1.9 blocks in 1.9 three-pointers per game. Shot it well at all three levels. He is about 40% shooter from three on 4.7 attempts per game. So, you know, some guys, he shoot 40% from three. Like, all right, he only took about two or three. This guy had actual volume to back up his percentages, and he shot over 50% from the field. You'd like to see him shoot a little bit better from the foul line. He's about 75% there. But good defensively, I think he can defend either forward spot with whichever team he goes to. But like I was saying earlier, I think he's a better fit for Sacramento than he would be for Detroit. Because you look at Sacramento's forwards, they've got a few guys entering the final year of their contracts. Like Harrison Barnes, Justin Holliday is another one. Um, so that's a place where they may not have to ask a guy like Murray to do too much right away. But by year two, he's someone who could really flourish uh, for them on the wing. Man, 5.1 combined steals, blocks, and threes yeah. is really spicy. <laughs> yeah, I love the path to minutes, too. He can play both forward spots. Um, if he lands on the Kings, I'll be very excited. I'll probably have him fourth or fifth as a rookie. Mm-hmm. But if he lands in Detroit, yeah, man, he's probably third <laughs> right away, right? You put him yeah. and Cade together. Like, Cade has no help right now. Killian Hayes had a couple of good moments in the final month, but he has no help right now. Mm-hmm. Sadiq Bey is covering his ears right now. Sadiq Bey is yeah. just... Is, Oh yeah, Sadiq Bay is very good. Yeah, I, I will say that. So, so I think that oh, man Keegan Murray in Detroit. Whew. I could see it, but yeah, like I was saying, I don't think he's going to be on the board there. Um, in terms of Detroit, you know, Cunningham and Killing Hayes, those two really didn't take off respectively until Dwayne Casey split them up. And remember in the preseason, they said we're going to play them together, despite almost everyone saying don't do that. That's not going to work, and it didn't work. You know, because you want Cade Cunningham to have the ball in his hands. Killian Hayes isn't a very good shooter, so pairing him with someone who's mm-hmm. a ball-dominant guard as well really didn't make any sense. So they went Corey Joseph. That worked out for both of those young guards individually, and I don't see Detroit going back to that. Maybe a Jaden Ivey could work in Detroit just because he's a little bit – he's a better shooter than Hayes is. But that's who I think is going to end up in Detroit. Uh, Jaden Ivey, just because I don't like what you're saying, okay. I don't see the fit in Sacramento for him. Do you think they'd entertain the idea of Jalen Duran in Detroit instead of Jaden Ivey? I think that's a little high for Duran, um, but I can see it if they, because obviously Isaiah Stewart hasn't been all that impressive. He's had his moments, but they really haven't gotten enough out of that center position from a production standpoint. And I kind of feel like if you go with Jalen Duran, you're kind of going back to step one in terms of this rebuild, because how ready is he to kind of be that starting center right off the bat? He wouldn't have to be if you still have Stewart there, obviously, but I think they're going to, that's a position where they're probably going to have to upgrade via trade or free agency more than anything. Do we like, Raph, I, I sensed a little bit that you were a little hesitant. Let's say hypothetically Keegan Murray is on the Pistons. You're a little worried about that fit, it sounds like? I am just because of Sadiq Bey, but I don't think it's pro- it would necessarily prohibit you from selecting him in fantasy leagues because, like Jonas said, Cade's going to need help. You know, Sadiq Bey is going to need help offensively. Um, you know, who else is going to step forward 
you look at that roster, it's not really the most impressive cast of characters, as we saw with their win-loss record, obviously. So I could see the fit there. I just think that he would be – I just think Sacramento would be, would be fools if they let Keegan Murray go past four personally. Definitely a really intriguing guy to watch. Do we last note here before we move on? I mean, do we think that those look, you're not going to take a guy from college and just pencil in 1.3 steals, 1.9 blocks. But I mean, does that those skills feel like just translatable? Mm -hmm. I mean, like he's going to be a steals and blocks guy at the next level, obviously. I think he can be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Steals and blocks seem to translate pretty well. Mm -hmm. Honestly, they really do. Yeah, 1.9 might be a little greedy, obviously, yeah. but even one and one would be awesome. You can get around obviously. two total. I think that's a really good starting point, especially when you have the three-point yeah. potential for him as well. Yeah. All right. As a bonus, we did the top five. The Knicks, your Knicks, Raph. Pick 11. <laughs> All right, Raph. What, what would you like to see them do? Which rookie would you like to see this team select so that Tom Thibodeau cannot play him? Yeah, we mentioned Jalen Dern. That's who I think will wind up in that area of the draft. Mitchell Robinson is going to be a free agent, so they have a they have a decision to make there, obviously. And beyond him, even if you bring him back, you've got Tibbs' favorite um, Taj Gibson and Nerlens Noel, who was injured for most of this season. No, I'm not. That's not very <laughs> impressive at all. Um, but what I could also envision happening is them using that pick as part of a trade because they need help with the uh-huh. point as well. Um, they weren't fully committed to giving Emmanuel quickly the reps he needed at the point once it was obvious that they weren't going to be a play-in tournament team. Alec Burks, I mean, come on. You know, Kemba Walker, they got rid of him in season. So yeah. that's an area where they're going to have to get better either via free agency or a trade, and this pick could potentially be used to sweeten the trade. What about A.J. Griffin? I think he'll go a little bit higher than there. But in terms of the number of young wings that the Knicks have, you've got Quentin Grimes. You've got Cam Reddish, who they really didn't give a chance to play once they traded for him. Um, he's coming back from a shoulder injury. He's working out now. But I don't think Griffin's going to be there, and I think there will be a bit of a redundant you know, kind of addition to that roster if he were to be available. At yeah. He just seems like a Tibbs guy, though, doesn't he? Yeah, he's got a good build. Um Solid defensively. You know, he can get better offensively as well. But, um, yeah, I I think they really need to look point guard or, or big. And if they have to make a trade to do it, I think that would be preferable to, to selecting someone personally. How does it work with Todd Gibson, by the way? Has he just been offered a lifetime one-year deal where he just checks a box at the end of the season? Yeah. And he's just, yeah, I'm, I'm going to run it back one more year. Udonis Haslam, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except he actually plays. Yeah. Todd yeah. Gibson actually plays. Oh, good. The best of times. Not good times. The best of times. (laughs) All right. That's going to do it for us on this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a minute to rate and review us as well. We will be back on Friday and then Monday, Wednesday, Friday next week as we continue on through the playoffs and lead up to the draft. Lots of uh, stuff coming your way. I want to say thanks to everyone for listening and watching live. And Jonas, Raph, thanks to both of you for planning this t-shirt gag without me and thanks for the breakdown guys it was a lot of fun i enjoyed it thanks that was fun see you guys teats and watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever what's that mean it means never cutting corners ever it means cooking not processing it means our virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection then twice baked to layer the flavors it takes more time but you can taste the difference We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. 
Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 